This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and to help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode, join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. taking all these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Hey, Star Trek books and comics fans, Dan Gunther here. Welcome to episode 290 of Literary Treks, your dedicated Star Trek books and comics show here on the Trek FM network. And welcome to my co-host, Bruce Gibson. Bruce, how's it going? It's going great. I'm like excited about the show. I'm excited about every show, but I'm really (laughs) excited about this one too. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Star Trek Discovery Aftermath comic trilogy. Um, and we're going to be doing all three issues as the feature for this episode. So stay tuned to that. We'll also have a special guest to talk about those with, a, a guest co-host for that. But before we get there, we do have a couple of news issues to talk about. And the first one is, uh, as of today, as we're recording this, the release of Star Trek Picard Countdown number one is upon us. So this episode, of course, will come out quite a bit after we record it. So hopefully you've had a chance to get your hands on this and read this. But for us, it's just coming out today. So uh, get your hands on that if you're wanting some background and some anticipation building for the star trek picard series uh bruce are you planning on as soon as we're done recording here grabbing that and reading it or are you gonna hold off a bit no no to both because i've already read it oh (laughs) you quick (laughs) (laughs) i i already read it uh yeah so there's three issues and so we'll get another one december no in january and once all the three issues are out we will review it as part of the feature just like we're doing today with discovery aftermath so i will say initially i'm not really giving you my thoughts of this current issue but i i'm not a big fan of this cover it doesn't look very mm-hmm. good to me it looks really weird <laughs> yeah there's a few variant covers apparently and in my mind, two of them look pretty good, but there's one which I think is probably the one you're talking about that I just, yeah, I do not like that cover. Yeah, either. where he's looking like straight on and his head looks kind of weird on the body or. Yeah. I don't, know. I, I don't know what happened there. I feel like that could have gone through a few more passes somehow, yeah. but uh, yeah, that's yeah. a little. But, disturbing. you know, um, don't judge a book by its cover. 
you know True. i mean we do get to see some you know spoiler alert and i'm not this is not a spoiler i mean you can't we're, you know, we're getting to see some new uniforms. We're getting to see where they are, where, you know, we're setting things up for Picard. So this is our first official setup that's going into the series. So it's mm-hmm. definitely look worth a look to check out. Yes. Cool. Well, I will definitely be reading that uh, as soon as we're <laughs> done talking here, I think. Uh, but we also have another new release to talk about. And this one, the release date is December 3rd. And this is Body by Starfleet. So uh, this is a fitness guide for the active Starfleet cadet by Rob Perlman, uh, published by Running Press. And like I said, that's coming out December 3rd. So by the time this episode is out, that should be out. So keep an eye out for that book. I think we're going to be talking about that on the show. So uh, look forward to an episode about that one. Um Bruce, did you have uh, any interest in this? I know, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking very broadly here. I myself include myself in this as a lifelong Star Trek fan and, and you know, someone who likes Star Trek and, and spends a lot of time watching Star Trek. I'm not the most active person in the world. So this might be something to help me get up off the couch and, you know, turn off the fifth episode in a row of Enterprise and, and go do something. <laughs> well, you know, as we're going into the holiday season, a lot of people are you know, they start thinking about, oh, you know, all the parties and the food and all the things that are going on. And after the holidays, after the new year, I'm going to go on a diet. The last several years, I go into the holidays saying I'm going to diet during the holidays because I'm like, okay, that's when things are going to get really bad. And so if I can just temper that down some, and you're right, I need to exercise more. And yeah, I don't think this book is going to get me to exercise more, but it, (laughs) It's, it looks like it's a fun book if you, and it might, I mean, there might be stuff in here that goes, you know what, I'm actually going to use this book for fun to motivate me to exercise. Now I will say, check out star Trek.com. There's a video that the author and I don't know who else is in the video. There's a woman with him. Uh, they are working out on the bridge of the enterprise and intend forward. And it's a promotional video for the book. And it's a lot of fun to watch. So check that out. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'm going to check that out too. (laughs) Very cool. Yeah, I I feel like this might be, if you have, you know, a Star Trek fan in your life that maybe uh, doesn't keep an ear to the ground as to new releases and stuff, this might be a good one to put in in his or her stocking, you know, because like you said, after Christmas and into the new year, that's when all of us decide to, you know, get ambitious and make resolutions and that kind of stuff. And, you know, you never know, this might help a few people out there. So, uh Definitely looking forward to getting my hands on this one and uh, seeing what it's all about for sure. Yeah. And like you said, in a future episode, we're going to dig deep into it. Like soon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's uh, jump now to our Babel conference feedback. And we have some feedback, uh, quite a bit of feedback, actually. Uh, This is for Literary Treks 288, The Golden Girls in Space. That was our episode on uh, Star Trek Destiny Book 2, Mere Mortals by David Mack. So let's pop over to the Babel Conference and see what you guys had to say. So Patrick Carlin says, I really enjoyed the parts of Bako's negotiating. I've always liked her cut through the crap and get down to business style. She was such a great character. We'd like to abstain, Madam President. And I'd like to be able to take a peaceful month-long vacation on Risa, but we don't always get what we want, do we? <laughs> I, I do really like that character, so thanks for pointing that out. And then Christopher Baca says, Destiny is my second favorite novel miniseries. My all-time favorite is still Vanguard. 
Oh my gosh, Vanguard is so good. I'd like to do that on the show someday, but that's what, eight books plus another book of short stories and uh, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe someday soon we'll be doing those. That would be fun. I do like Vanguard as well. It's one of my favorites. So uh, yeah, it's that and Destiny are right up there for me as well. Galen B. Linnett says, I'm looking forward to hearing this episode. I'm weeks behind and just finished the motion picture novelization. My absolute favorite episode so far. Boy, that Dr. Trek sure is a Fontana of information. Amazing work. Galen, I, I love this comment. I don't, I think the Fontana, I don't know if that's a typo or not. If it's a typo, that's the most amazing <laughs> serendipitous uh, one ever. And if that was intentional, bravo. I like that. That's very funny. I have a feeling that was intentional. I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> very nice. Liam Smith says, I remember my first time reading this one. So very clearly, not just the 7,461 Borg cubes existing in the Azur Nebula, making me realize that if it were anyone but David Mack, slurp, I would believe that it could turn out okay. But it's Mack, slurp. So, by the way, people, he put in slurp. I'm just, I'm not inserting that. <laughs> Liam put in the slurp, okay? But it's Mack, slurp. So, I had no confidence, but also the, you can't leave it there, and the staying up way too late early when book three finally came out just because I had to know what happened. Such an amazing trilogy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Waiting for that third book was a lot. (laughs) Definitely agree. And it's good to see that we got some positive uh, feedback on our ridiculous little drinking slurp thing. So thanks for that. Well, Justin Ozer says, great discussion. This novel is absolutely amazing. Now that I've finished my reread of the trilogy, I can say this is my favorite of the three, even though they're all excellent and the ending of book three is one of my favorite things anywhere in Trek. The way David Mack, slurp, incorporates an epic and heartbreaking story of the more than 800 years for Hernandez on New Aragal, which is really a novel in itself, while also telling the story of the Enterprise, Titan, Aventine, and President Baco in 2381 is a masterful achievement. This novel is chock full of incredible chapters, plots, and subplots, making it one of the very best Trek novels I've ever read. I give it 6 out of 5 Kalar City ships. Thanks, Justin. And the slurp was, uh, he wrote that in there as well. <laughs> and if anybody didn't listen to that previous episode and like, why do they talk about the slurp? It's because for just for fun, we said every time we say David Mack, take a slurp or take a drink. And there was yeah. a slurp sound in the episode, which I'm going to go ahead and jump down to Chris Foster, who says, personal request, please don't use the loud slurp of coffee sound effect anymore. For some reason, it just bothers me tremendously. I'm hoping there's another way you can humorously say the name of the author of the book you're reviewing. Well, Chris, as I replied to you in here, that was a one-time thing. We're not going to be slurping on other episodes. It was just, look, I'm not going to say it will never happen again, but there's no intentions (laughs) of ever doing it again. So no worries. That was a one-time slurp. I mean, whatever. Yeah. By the way, there were eight slurps in that episode. For sure. And uh, Chris totally like, on the level, I understand. I have a friend that absolutely just for whatever reason, psychologically cannot listen to other people's eating and drinking sounds. So I know that's a thing. So I, I totally get that. But I will though- say that I was the one who edited the episode and put the slurps in there. And then I sent <laughs> clips to Dan going, 
do you think this is okay? And he said, yes. So we're both guilty on this. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but like Bruce said, it's it's a one-time thing, um, with the exception of the comments for this episode, of course. But, and I could be a real and, jerk and put a slurp in here right now, but I'm not. <laughs> oh, that, that's big of you. That's good. <laughs> I worry because he does have editing control of these episodes. So It's hmm. dangerous, isn't it? It is. It's a lot of power. I love it. <laughs> Well, Oz Trekkie says, there is so much epic awesomeness packed into this one. You could podcast for hours about it and still not cover everything. Love the scenes where they go through the apertures and the fight scene with the Herogen. The sheer volume of Borg cubes destroying the fleet with hardly a shot fired, then spreading out through the quadrant, laying waste to everything. Baco's wheeling and dealing was another highlight for me in the novel. I love seeing how all the deals are done. These are just a few of my favorite things about this novel. And I should note... I think I meant to sing that part. I don't know if I want to. <laughs> These are a few of my favorite things about this novel. Looking forward to David Mack talk more about David Mack novels in the next episode. No slurps added to this comment. So the fact that I have editing control leaving you singing means that I found it acceptable. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> so Kimberly Lawler says great episode and that's all she said no I'm kidding she says so much fun to hear you guys so enthusiastic about the novel I also love this one although I think a better title might have been darkness falls the Herosian were really scary the Borg armada was terrifying especially as seen through Chakotay's eyes and the existential angst and difficulties of the Columbia women were tough but the human moments really shine through and that's the mark of excellent writing. I give this one five out of five subspace tunnels about to collapse. Aside, when Bruce Gibson said he'd like to have a big trilogy like this every five years or so, I thought, hey, that's when that's about when Cold Equations did come out after Destiny. Also featuring big political storylines, decades-long character arcs for Sung, galactic threats, and kind of intense action. David Mack is really good at this sort of thing. That's true. I hadn't thought about that. But yes, it's just not as epic to me as mm -hmm. Destiny, you know? And we have had others like The Fall, because Justin points out in Typhon Pack and, and, and those, but I don't know. Destiny just really, really set things in a big way. Yeah. There, there really is a feeling of like before Destiny and after Destiny in a way that there isn't for those other trilogies. And I do remember when Cold Equations was coming out, David Mack made it a point in the run-up to say, like, if you're expecting a big, huge thing like Destiny, don't, because this is not that. So, uh, yeah. There's, I, I don't think there's been anything quite like Destiny uh, since. Before or since, really. I don't know. It's no. uh, It definitely feels like in a class all its own. But I, I think it's pro probably is good that we don't have any too too many of those kind of big resets like you're talking about anyway. Mm -hmm. So maybe I think it was the right move to do something like the Typhon pack in the fall that still had a lot of change in the universe, but not as big of a, of a reset. And then cold equations was a huge story about data. I mean, there's just, mm -hmm. I, Oh, I want to go back and read those. Did were those covered here on the show? I can't remember. I think they were, they were covered on the show. Um, but, uh, they are ones that I would love to go back and revisit someday. Just, for myself as well. Cause yeah. yeah, I remember them being really great novels. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys all so much for your Babel conference feedback. I really do appreciate that. Uh, we do also have an email, um, from Steven Townsend 
uh, in England who sent us a message and he says, Hi, regarding Matt Rushing's comment about why the Enterprise isn't using the ablative armor as a defense against the Borg in Greater Than the Sum, page 48, it's mentioned that the Borg adapted to the armor when Voyager was in the Transwarp network at the end of Endgame. Thank you so much for that comment, Stephen. A couple of people have come to us uh, with information similar to that, too, since that episode. So we definitely uh, stand corrected. And thank you very much for uh, that piece of information that we had forgotten. Yes, because we can't remember everything. <laughs> That's why we do this show. Seriously, one reason I like to be on the show is because I don't remember everything. And Dan remembers a lot more, or knows a lot more than I do. And then even when he's off or we're wrong or whatever, you guys <laughs> chime in. And I'm like, this is great. I'm just getting all this information. I don't even have to go to college for Star Trek novels. It's coming through the show. I'm being educated. It's like our own personal memory beta. We're just crowdsourcing all this information. I love it. Yes. <laughs> Well, thank you guys all so much for your feedback. What do you say we jump over to the feature, talk about some Star Trek Discovery comics, and welcome our special guest co-host? Oh, I hope I like this person. (laughs) I have a feeling you will. This week, we are discussing the Star Trek Discovery Aftermath trilogy of comics. Now, we're doing this a little different, as we said at the top of the show, than we've done in the past, where we review each issue as it comes out. Instead, we've saved this up to review all three of them in this episode. But I feel like Bruce and I can't do this alone. So we've invited a fellow Star Trek aficionado, an expert, the wise, the talented, the beautiful, Brandy Jackala. Brandy, how's it going? Oh, I am so pleased to be here. It feels like it's been forever since I've been on Literary Treks, and I just love being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is like live from the edge. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we definitely love having you on, and indeed, it has been a little while, which is an oversight on our parts, I have to say, because you're such an awesome addition to the show. Oh. Thank you. I just have so much fun with you guys, and I love to read, and I love to talk about what I read. Ask my husband. He has to listen to the summation of everything I read, whether he wants to or not. Yeah, let's ask Dave. your husband. Bring Dave in here. Come on. Get Dave on the show. Um, no, he's he's doing something else at the moment. He just recently got a PlayStation 4 for himself. So. Oh, lucky. Yeah, I tried to get him to get one like four years ago when I got mine, and now he's finally succumbed. Wait, you got Hmm. one, but you wouldn't share it with him, so he had to get his It's not a matter of sharing. I was happy to share, but we have had custody battles in the past. We know how we are. (laughs) Our gaming time is precious. And I kept saying, let's get you one. And he kept saying, no, I'm fine with my Xbox 360. (laughs) You don't even know the glory. Anyway. (laughs) Off topic. I'm good at that. Well, the topic today is, like I said, these Discovery comics, um, which unfortunately can't be read or played on a PlayStation 4. I don't know. That was a really (laughs) bad segue. But regardless, um, we'll kind of figure out how we're going to discuss these. And I think the best thing to do would just probably tackle each issue, uh, kind of go through it and our thoughts as we go through the story. So... As with all things, I think it's best to begin at the beginning. So here we are with issue number one of Star Trek Discovery Aftermath. Now, this is a collaboration between um, Michael Johnson and Kirsten Beyer. 
Uh, Kirsten Beyer, of course, known as one of the uh, premier novel writers and a writer on Star Trek Discovery and now Star Trek Picard as well. Um, so someone who's no stranger to the comics, all of the Discovery comics she's been a part of as well with Mike Johnston. So kind of just going around the room a little bit, first thoughts reading this comic, just your first initial impressions. Well, my first impression was core and how funky he looked like, you know, he's right? like a hippie looking core, <laughs> but you know, what I loved about it is we kept hearing in discovery, the house of core. And I kept thinking, well, is that the core that we know? And now this is saying he is part of that house, but he's named after the, you know, the house, the, the one Klingon says to him, the house of your namesake. So he's taken the name of core from the house. So it's not named after him, but he is part of it, but he looks like the classic core that we see on TOS, but he's got like long hair in the front, like bangs. And so you can't really see, I mean, maybe he's got ridges and maybe he doesn't, but I'd say he doesn't, but mm -hmm. it's not visible. Yeah, he's kind of got this this uh, long flowing locks going on. And, and yeah, I agree with you. I don't think he has the ridges. I think he's uh, one of these ridgeless Klingons that are still recovering from the augment virus. And I kind of thought we'd get a little exploration of that, but they totally sidestepped that issue and didn't even bring it up. So interesting. Brandy, what are your kind of first thoughts on this issue? Yeah, I immediately thought, oh, it's core. Oh my gosh, it's the core that I know! Are Klingons really that long-lived? I don't know how long Klingons are supposed to live. But that dude, I mean, this is like, what, 10 years before TOS? And he shows up in Deep Space Nine, too. So I'm like, mm -hmm. dude, you got some longevity on you. I also loved the artwork because I could immediately recognize him. Mm -hmm. And I'm so Absolutely. happy that they paid the tribute to John Colicos, who originated that role that made me so happy beyond belief it just made me super excited and so i couldn't wait to see what was going to happen next but i too thought about the augment virus and i thought no they've got other things to do in this we're not going to hear about that it's only going to be three issues and so i wasn't really sure yet where the story was going to go mm -hmm. the one thing i regret is they never had him say vegetable at any point <laughs> because he says that so well <laughs> oh john gully goes you're missed <laughs> definitely so yeah we get this brief scene with him and it seems like he's not really a fan of laurel either he's kind of following his family's opinion uh, of course we know the house of core has been a huge um opponent of laurel's chancellorship through you know core or cole i should say in the first season and then cole shaw in the second season and uh it looks like that's kind of continued here and going from that scene we get uh laurel who's interestingly enough communicating with a publicity photo of captain pike oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> that publicity photo is used also in i think the third issue too i think yeah. so yeah <laughs> Immediately, yep. right off the bat, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, she's looking at his headshots. Is she auditioning for something? <laughs> I thought the same thing. I, I was ready for him to just, you know, rest his chin on his hand, you know. It was, uh, no, it was great. I I must say I really love the artwork of all three of these issues mm -hmm. because I feel it's very true to the characters, but still being in a comic book style. And that is a hard line to walk. 
Definitely. And yeah, I mean, I make jokes about the fact that this is the, the reference they've used for this is that famous, you know, grin where he's looking over his shoulder sitting in the captain's chair. <laughs> exactly. But the artwork is very good. I'm really liking the likenesses uh, in this scene, especially of Laurel as well. They've she they've captured her eyes perfectly, which I yes. think is that one feature that just immediately screams Laurel. Well, I think that's true of any character. If you don't get the eyes right, the character mm-hmm. is off. It's just, and it's hard to do eyes because eyes are like the window to the soul. And so, you know, they really just nailed it on all fronts with the eyes, especially. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And my daughter, she likes, you know, she's an artist or whatever. She's in high school and people are always commenting how well she does eyes. And it it's like that, you know, it's just like, you, you see, you know, I see the stuff she does and you're just so focused on the eyes. It just says so much. But the other thing I liked about this scene is just seeing how Laurel has a pretty decent relationship with Pike that they're actually talking about having the summit to uh, talk about, you know, a, a peace treaty. And so she's willing to work with him, but at the same time doesn't trust him and doesn't really it's almost like she does and she doesn't trust him. I think she trusts him, but she doesn't trust the Federation, but he represents the Federation, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's an interesting dynamic. I thought the exact same thing. Well, and it, I feel like it's really true to her character too, of course, because our introduction to her was as a follower of Takuvma, who was very much about painting the Federation as this lying uh, organization that was just going to wipe out the Klingons, right? So there's still the vestiges of that, that, you know, there, there's that aspect as well as the fact of she's a politician and she knows how it will play with the Klingon people as well. So, but it's still interesting that they've got this dialogue that's been continuing since the Battle of Zahia, it seems, and, and they're kind of maintaining that, uh, that open relationship where there's at least talk happening, which is pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's something that I didn't really expect. I didn't really have any expectations going into this. I just knew it was going to kind of fill in some of the blanks from the end of such sweet sorrow until the very end of such sweet sorrow (laughs) part Mm -hmm. two. So that's all that I knew going in. And so I'm like, okay, this makes sense. I like where this is headed. I want to know more. You have my attention. But I also wondered, why does Laurel, why would she have interest in having, as Pike says, real and lasting peace? I mean, that's what he wants. Why is she even entertaining that? I mean, from a Klingon standpoint, I think she would want to, uh, you know, they try to conquer Earth and the Federation. It's like, why does she care about having peace? But there's something, though, that she did say at one point that she does fear control. That seems to be the fear of why she's willing to talk to the Federation for peace, because there's a fear that control uh, could have some devastating influence on conquering the Klingons. Right. So maybe that idea of uh, when when they fought together against control at Zahia, the idea that they might have to do that again. So, you know, I think in some ways it's a little bit self-serving, but in a good way to kind of keep that in your back pocket that you can say, oh, yeah, no, we're cooperating. Let's join together against this common foe again, which is kind of Klingon-y as well. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't... (laughs) Klingon-y. I like like it. You don't want to be fighting two wars because she's already 
dealing with people who don't want her where she is within her own people. She doesn't need to be worrying about what kind of moves the Federation is going to be making against her. So that may have been part of it as well. Well, from there, like you said, we do get kind of this agreement to have a summit between the Federation and the Klingons, which is, you know, a big step definitely at this period in relations between them. And uh, we've gotten Pike kind of reflecting a little bit on what this opportunity might mean and kind of what happened towards the end of last season, as well as during the Klingon War. And then from there, we move into a kind of cool little flashback scene. We've got young Spock uh, being bullied by his fellow Vulcans. and The ones Burnham. from Star Trek 09? Yeah, it kind of see we got a little bit of a crossover there because the young <laughs> Spock is definitely modeled on the actor they had in Discovery. And yeah, these Vulcans seem to be the same ones that were being jerks in Star Trek 09. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. And then uh, Burnham kind of comes to his rescue and acts in a very human way <laughs> to these Vulcans, which, you know, honestly, they had coming. Wait, oh, Dan, are you telling me that Burnham shows up and saves the day? That never happens. <laughs> I just hear so many people complaining that Burnham say like Burnham has become the Wesley Crusher of Discovery. Mm. No, not the same way. But I mean, OK, side tangent. Honestly, I feel like every lead character of every series seems to be the hero that saves the day most of the time. And I think people have a bigger problem with this for two reasons. One, she's not the captain. And two, she's a woman. I just said it. Mm -hmm. done. I'm, that's my speech. I agree. <laughs> well, thank you. You're welcome. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. And I step back to make room for that voice. And I will also say I agree. <laughs> but, uh, you know. One thing that's really cool is she does know the Vulcan neck pinch, which apparently kids aren't supposed to know or even attempt at this age. So that was pretty cool. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, no, we did. Of course. Never mind. Very famously, we did see Burnham use the Vulcan neck pinch in the show. Okay. Yeah. I forgot for a moment. She did neck pinch Giorgio uh, at the start of season one. So forget that tangent. I was just going to ask if we've seen that, but we have. <laughs> Which I love that scene. That's my favorite scene in that episode. Mm hmm. Ah, oh, so emotional. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we get this flashback and, and it's Spock reminiscing on what Burnham meant to him and what the influence that she had on his life. And I, I really like the scene. It's really touching and it's done in that kind of sepia tone. You know, it's it's got the color of memory to it and that sort of thing. What did you guys think of this whole back and forth and, and seeing them as young children again here? I liked it. I'm, I mean, you know, it just it, it's consistent with what we've seen in the show in the flashbacks. Yeah, I agree. I was just I was happy because I knew Spock was obviously going to be in it because, you know, he's on the cover for one thing. But I didn't know to what degree and I didn't know what it was going to focus on with him. And I like the way that it went because I feel like that is a natural progression of what he would be going through after discovery went into the future. And he knows he's never going to see his sister again. And he has feelings about it and he is working through those feelings. <laughs> and so, Definitely. you know, it, it, for me, any Spock is good Spock. So <laughs> just give me all the <laughs> Spock and I'm happy. 
Well, we do get a lot of Spock here then, mm-hmm. so you must be happy because we also get this scene of modern-day Spock with his mother, which I thought was a really great scene. And yes. again, I got to walk over, for those of you who've seen my YouTube channel, I get to walk over to my whiteboard and write another tick in the Star Trek Discovery Alice in Wonderland references here, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I do love. I mean, I, I like It's getting literature. a little bit, a bit much, though, doesn't it? I mean... <laughs> I, I yeah. just feel like it, they reference it a little too much. Maybe a little, but uh, I like it. I like it. I do, too. <laughs> I think it's because it's such a strange work of both chaos and logic that it just suits the situation very well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's a well-used metaphor, but it is definitely an obvious metaphor for the struggles that Spock has gone through and, uh, you know, not just uniting his Vulcan and human halves, the logical and, and absurd side, if I can paint humans as being absurd, but oh, also are. with his learning difficulties that they mentioned in season two as well. So, I, you know, I they might have stretched it a little bit, but I appreciate what they're trying to do there for sure. Yes. Well, yeah. and it's a connection to Michael as well. And mm-hmm. that's the big thing. It's it's even bigger for him because it's that connection to Michael. Definitely. So then we visit, uh, you know, of course, the, the Federation is going to always be willing to engage in peace talks. But the Klingons might have a little bit harder time getting their heads around this. So we do get a scene of Laurel in the High Council chambers kind of presenting this idea to the rest of the Council and the Klingon people. And uh, what did you guys think of her argument for um, going forward with these talks? I thought it was very Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> Draw them in, make them comfortable, then stab them. Yeah, exactly, right? You I know? will go in with a wary eye and a sharp blade. <laughs> yep. I, feel like, I feel like that could be like a Klingon aphorism almost. Mm. Agree. Always have a wary eye and a sharp blade. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I, yeah, it's almost like she's playing them because I feel like she is open to the idea of peace. Oh, but she, she is. Knows, yeah, but she mm-hmm. knows that these other Klingons aren't. And she, she's like, yeah, I'm going to go listen to them. But you know what? Wink, wink. I'm, I'm, if they pull anything on me, this is my opportunity to do something to them. This is my opportunity to, to stab them, to strike. So bring it on. Bring it on. They're like, yeah, yeah. She doesn't care about peace. She's going to go in there. She's going to get them, you know, where they're asking for it. They're going to go in there and say they want peace. And then she's going to find out they don't. And then she's just going to stab them. Uh, yeah, uh. yeah <laughs> she's being a politician. Yes. I was just going to say, yeah. And a skilled yep, she's one. learned the game. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. And they all chant, Laurel, mother, Laurel, mother, mother, mother. <laughs> I now okay so I, I i keep drawing the parallels with the whole mother thing and i'm sure a lot of people did as well with daenerys in game of thrones so for some reason it entered my head misa as the klingon word for mother i'm like wait nope that's that's the wrong universe that's the <laughs> right right <laughs> why they call her mother i mean if this was a guy would they go father 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 no that's she told she them, to, them call to call her mother oh, she did right. that she yeah. did that why does she want to be called mother because it's a more powerful role than chancellor. She said, mm. I am no longer your chancellor. I am much more powerful. I am mother. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you sound skeptical, Bruce. No, it's well, okay. No, I, I remember is, that. 
Now that you mention, I remember that. The thing is, how many female chancellors had there been up to that point? Zero. I don't know. No, zero. Do we in know fact, that for a fact? Yeah, because uh, in, is it Next Generation or Deep Space Nine? I think it was Gowron was talking about how there was never, there had never been a female chancellor. So maybe she got stricken from the books, kind of like that female pharaoh that uh, they destroyed all of her likenesses and stripped her from their history books. So I think, I think if I'm remembering correctly, Gowron's line was uh, females are not allowed to serve on the Klingon High Council, mm. which is interesting because before that point, even before we knew about Laurel, there was a Zetbur in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country as well. Yes. I think the fan canon thing is something happened between Star Trek VI and TNG um, to make them regress in the rights of women in the Empire or something like that. Yeah, quite possibly. uh, Or or Gowron was just a jerk. That could be it, too. That could be it. (laughs) Well, they they didn't say they didn't have any mothers. So <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's maybe fair. the maybe the like left out second part of Gowron's line is like women are not allowed to serve on the high council because of the law enacted last week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's probably it. That's yeah, it. It, well, we- it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not not the not the uh, degradation and uh, limitation of rights of women. Uh, just you know, even even Klingon women. I mean, just women in general. But you know, it's just kind of like, uh, why would you do that? They're just as fierce warriors. They will take your head off as soon as look at you. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I think the uh, the the thing that probably we haven't said out loud, but is the real reason is because they had a, they needed a story reason why Lursa and Bator had to prop up their younger brother to be the guy to, because story reasons, but fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fair because the script demanded it. So many questions can be answered <sighs> with that line. I really hate that. Yep. <laughs> I really hate that doing your characters shouldn't be made to serve the plot. The plot should be made to serve your characters. Agreed. Speaking of plot, getting back to the comic Sorry. here. Tangent. No, 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 no. That was a tangent of all of us. <laughs> it was the mother of all tangents. <laughs> That's a Bruce joke. Yeah. I like is. it. Bring it. I want it. So getting back to the comic, uh, we've got um, Pike wanting to bring Spock along on this mission to this peace summit. Which I think is really interesting because Spock really feels that he's not at a hundred percent yet. He's not ready to resume duty, but Pike wants him along as an advisor, even though he won't be an official officer, he's still on leave. Now, I think partially the reason for this is so that he still looks super sexy with his beard and really cool black outfit, but uh, also it's really cool to get him along on this journey and the kind of mindset Spock's in, I think will make for some interesting stuff in the story coming up as well. So I don't know. There's a lot of stuff going on here, but I kind of like how they're setting it up here. Yes. And I like how Spock's like, why do you need me? I'm a science officer. This is a diplomatic mission. And he's, and Pike's like, because you're much more than just a science officer to me, Spock, you and number one are the people I trust the most. And I like that because it's, 
shows that they have a a relationship that's more than just captain and science officer. And it's the parallels we've seen as we continue with TOS with Kirk and Spock. Spock has this way of not having emotions or not displaying much emotion and yet bonding with humans so well. Yeah. And maybe mm-hmm. that's because yeah. of his relationship with his sister. Definitely. I like that. Yeah. Uh, I do want to say just one thing because I th- laughed out loud when it happened is when Pike showed up on Vulcan to collect Spock and he's like, Mrs. Sarek, Mrs. Grayson, I don't really understand Vulcan surname. And she's just like, Amanda is fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. That made me laugh. And- it's just it's Spock, uh, excuse me, it's Pike being his really attractive, awkward self. <laughs> he mm-hmm. makes awkwardness attractive. <laughs> And yeah, the the whatever like source they used for his image here, I seem to remember that from season two, where he's kind of got that like, oh, golly gee shucks look on his face. He's got <laughs> like, this half smile thing going on. It's a right. thing yeah. he does when he's a just sort smile. of being, and it is that aw shucks ma'am sort of thing. He does that, and I like mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and it's it really fits with his character, and and I always like that aspect of him. So that was a neat little moment. I was wondering if someone would bring that up. That's cool. Well, okay, so a couple of things then, because there's a whole page where they beam up to the Enterprise, and Number One is there to greet them, and she says to Spock, you know, you know, that she was worried, and he's like, I was in no <laughs> danger on Vulcan. She's like, I'm talking about the beard, Spock. I love it. I was afraid you were going to shave. And <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. I thought, I'm with I really number one. <laughs> I'm yeah. totally with number one on that. I'm like, mm, beard. Yes, keep it. So, okay. I'm glad you said that, Brandy. So I have two questions about this page for you. Number yes. one, is number one's hair correct at yes. this time period? Okay, good. Because Brandy has educated me on straight hair, number one, and curly hair, number one. And this is mm-hmm. the curly hair phase, right? Yes, okay. it is. And then... After she says to Spock about, you know, I was afraid you're going to shave. The next panel shows the backside of him. Is that correctly drawn? <laughs> <laughs> it is anatomically correct. Okay. Although it's different in three dimensions. <laughs> so. I will draw your attention to the episode, The Red Angel, with yep. the uh, very much bun-hugging <laughs> spacesuit that is center frame several times in that episode yep yep sure is sure is <laughs> sure is there was uh yeah, yeah there was uh, another shot in another episode which um now that i'm distracted i can't remember the name of the episode it's the one where they find uh cameron gan but it's not really him it's it's control and there's right. the scene where Spock is going up to that room where he has to, you know, take care of things while they're trying to distract control. And uh, he's just he's backlit. And I'm just like, OK, OK, you did that purposely. You can't <laughs> not have done that any other way. You guys did that purposely. And well, of course. <laughs> who can blame them? Not I. <laughs> and that is all I will say about that. Well, to kind of close out this issue, we've got, uh, we're back on Kronos with Kor again. Um, short, shirtless John Colicos, long haired Kor. <laughs> yeah, baby. Brandy is, 
<laughs> cheering again. And uh, Laurel shows up and kind of assigns him to head up her security on this mission. So uh, he pledges allegiance to her, says, my blade chancellor is yours. And that's where the issue ends. So definitely setting up some interesting stuff to come at the end of this issue. But now this is interesting to me because she, he, you know, the House of Kor wants to take over and get rid of Laurel. And yet she asks Kor to be her security. And he, she even says, I know that your house is looking to overthrow me, but I know that that's not you. You're not one of the conspirators against me. And I thought, how does she know that? And why does she know that? Or is she testing him? She's testing him. She's no dummy. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And I think also, like, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. But I also think she is trying to be a uniter. So I think even if she suspects that there is some tendency in him, even though she says, you know, I've not seen your name among the conspirators. Your, Your record is clean. I want you to head my security force. So part of it, A, yes, I think definitely testing him, but B, also showing a little trust, giving a little to him, hoping to win him to her allegiance and further kind of uh, uniting the Empire slash driving a little bit of a wedge into House Core and bringing some of them on board maybe as allies, I think is kind of maybe where her mind is here. Yeah, I I can see that, and that's yep. a good read, I think. Yep. All right. It's it's not often that I feel like I got something right. Awesome. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> Come on. That's not you get true. stuff right all the time. All the time. All the time. Aw, thanks. I was actually I was actually just fishing for compliments. So thank oh, you guys. Okay. okay. You're that. welcome. Well, you we are so welcome. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Moving on to issue number two. Oh my gosh, so, the way you moved on is just so great, Dan. You're just perfect. Oh, You're so good at this. I'm breathless okay, now. That's enough. <laughs> I'm gonna have to. Can we, can we pause the recording? I just need to collect myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel as okay. though I'm being made fun of now. No, <laughs> no, no. You're not. You're being paid tribute to. We're paying tribute. It is all with love. All right. Well, moving on now to issue number two. Uh, so we've got everything kind of set up in place. We've got the summit being held. Spock's part of the team. And in the start of this issue, we see Pike and Spock basically arriving on this neutral planet where they're going to meet with the Klingons. So first of all, we get this kind of two page, big splash page of the Klingon cleave ship, which Laurel has been using as her flagship arriving not in orbit of this planet, but right down in the atmosphere and poised over the meeting place because darn it, we're Klingons. (laughs) This is what we do. Um, So yeah, what are you guys thoughts kind of leading into this episode? What are you expecting at this point reading this issue? Well, because there was stuff going on in the background and she made Kor her head of security. I immediately assumed that there was going to be an attack on the proceedings, that uh, it was their way to hopefully, you know, take over and take Lorel back home and do whatever they were going to do. And I thought Kor was going to have a way out of it so that he could 
you know, if it failed, that he could remain intact as not one of the conspirators. So I feel like it was very crafty. I was waiting for something really crafty to happen. And I, I expected some big show of power when they showed up. So I wasn't disappointed. I'm like, oh, they're in atmosphere. Well, all right, then <laughs> let's all just take them out and measure them, shall we? So that's pretty much what that is. But that's a, that's a Klingon. That's a Klingon. Absolutely, yeah. But they, they have everything to back it up. That's the thing about the mm-hmm. Klingons, is they don't, they are not just fronting. They have the stuff. So. Definitely, yeah. Now, we haven't seen a ship like this before, though, this design, have we? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so this design, this was the ship that took out the Europa with Admiral, or the U- Europa took it out, I guess I should say. Uh, and then another one of them showed up. Lorel was using it as her flagship. Presumably, this is the same one in the Battle of Zahia at the end of season two as well. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But it was cloaked and it just started, you know, cleaving ships in twain, which is <laughs> why it's called a cleave ship. Yeah, it's, it's just was- basically a big flying blade yeah. that slices through space, yeah. which is equal parts ridiculous and. Klingon. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. I don't really like yes. it. It's kind of an odd looking ship, you know? I mean, it's fine. Well, Whatever. You um, know, you'd, you're not going to have to worry about that for, you know, much longer. So, no. <laughs> Good point. No, but at this point, I thought, okay, we're going to have this little peace conference and Core is going to do something to try to sabotage it. And something's going to happen where Pike messes up. Core's plans, and that's why Core starts to really hate the Federation, and he hates any captain of the Enterprise. And then when we see Core with Kirk, there's this backstory of like, ah, another Enterprise captain. Hmm, interesting. I like that. But that's not how yeah, it, it was kind out, of. So. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing. I was kind of waiting for them to tie in Core's story with what comes later for him, um, but they don't really do that. Other than, uh, you know, his character is appropriately duplicitous <laughs> as he is in the original series. Yeah. Um, so yeah, interesting. But uh, I, I like this observation that, you know, not only is she here with this big, huge ship to intimidate the Federation, but she, it's, it's also a show to the Klingons as well that like, she's here and she's large and in charge. Like she's going to take control of this situation, uh, not necessarily to intimidate Starfleet, but to keep the Klingons under her command, knowing that she's got that power. Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. Mm-hmm. Because Absolutely. I think it's ex- I think everyone would expect all the Klingons would expect her to give this show a force, but she's also showing them. They don't quite realize that yet. Hmm. But, you know, and Pike's just explaining, um, this is just what they do. <laughs> they do she, that doesn't mean she's, you know, planning to use this ship against us. It's just what they do. Mm-hmm. And, and just the humor them. The Andorian uh, admiral, whose name escapes me at the moment, Bruce, I'm sure you'll tell me who it is. Uh, <laughs> it was just, you know, when he first meets Laurel and, and, uh, and Pike's like, she does, she's not being rude. And he's like, I like her already. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Shalek. Shalek. Thank you. I knew it was yeah. a shuh sound, but you know, when I start to say shh uh, with an Andorian, it's going to come out Shran every time. So I didn't want to 
you know, make that mistake because I knew it wasn't Shran, but Shran is well, my like favorite. So. Doing this whole, you know, oh, thank you for coming. I hope our worlds and our birthplace and the bounties of peace and so da, da. And she's like, and it is my hope that flowerly language does not hide sinister intent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> and he's just kind of yeah. like, dang, girl. <laughs> And that's such a Laurel line, too. And the the line right after that, truth is found in action, Admiral. I could totally hear Mary Chifo delivering that line, right? Yes. Let's have her deliver the line. Let's bring her on here and read that. Would she please, Uh, Mary, if you're listening? I would be all over that. So much. (laughs) So much. Definitely. Well, so we've got a little bit more of Spock's inner monologue as these negotiations are going on. And we see that like he really doesn't feel like he should be there. Like he hasn't really earned that place back yet. And he feels that the person who should be here, of course, is Michael Burnham, who has earned that place in history in in his inner words here. Um, so what do you guys think of that? Like a little bit more insight into what Spock is going through with regards to Burnham here. I love it because give me all the Spock. Um, but I like seeing a peek into his head. We don't get that enough. Mm-hmm. He's he's an enigma a lot of the time in the original series and in the Kelvin timeline. And so it was refreshing to have a this version of Spock where we're getting a look into what he's really thinking. Because how often do we know what he's thinking? Almost never. And uh, I I loved this feeling of, I don't know where I'm supposed to be now. I've lost half of myself. I think that's how he feels, is he's lost half of himself by Michael being gone and irretrievable. And he doesn't know. He's got to figure out now, who is he? What does he want to do? And so he's just like, I have no business being at this place when I am this in this kind of conflict in my brain. But I can't say that to anyone. So I'm just going to suck it up and pretend to look like I know what I'm doing. And my thought from this scene was that here we have a guy that's been a science officer and he's like, why am I on this diplomatic mission? And he also says, you know, if anybody should be here should be Michael Burnham more so than me, which I really, I mean, I get why he's saying that, but at the same time, it's like, well, she's not part of the enterprise crew to begin with. And this is a mission for the enterprise. So I don't know why he really feels like she should be there, not him. But I know that he's thinking that, you know, if anyone I know that could handle this better than I could, it's probably her, but that's why he learns from her. And if anything, he probably would start to channel and think, well, how would Michael handle this? And also that Pike realizes that there's something in Spock that can handle diplomatic missions. And this is one of his first of the diplomatic missions that will eventually lead him in the future to be an ambassador. Mm hmm. Absolutely bang on. And one of my favorite bits here, just to kind of show the evolution of this character, at the conclusion of this kind of mental inner monologue here, he says, my counsel is to accept the inevitable, accept that these two civilizations are intractably in opposition and forever will be. The only option is to minimize the damage. And then Fast forward decades, he's the one that brings about peace between the Klingon Empire and the Federation. And I just absolutely love that, that his mindset here at this point in his life, 
when, you know, he's broken and things aren't, you know, logical to him. That's all he sees. That's what he sees in this situation is there's no way out of this other than war and we should try to minimize the damage, but it's inevitable. Uh, and, and, you know, that's what he counsels Pike. He says we should temper our expectations. Don't expect too much out of this. But then to, to know where he'll end up, I think, is really fascinating to coin a phrase. <laughs> but isn't this something that he does for himself? There's always the inner battle of his human and Vulcan side. So is, he has to be the peacemaker between the two and find the common ground. And so he does that internally for himself, and then he finds ways to do that externally for others. And I think that's Dang. some of the lessons that he learns from Burnham, <laughs> because being around Vulcans and growing up in this Vulcan society, where all your influences and, and all the people you interact with are Vulcans, and she's that one human outside of his mother, but you know of the same age, or roughly the same age, that he can reflect and learn from and learn that balance. So she, I think, I think he has that term, turmoil of Vulcan and not sure what to do with his human self, that that's why he looks to burn him so much because she gives him that grounding on the human side. Yeah. Bruce dropping the knowledge bombs here. Wow. That's absolutely Just, right. I don't have anything else to say because how am I supposed to follow that? So yeah. I just read what Dan wrote down for me. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, um, thank you. <laughs> no, that's that's a great observation. And yeah, I absolutely love that. And immediately after this, so he's given Pike his counsel and Chancellor Lorel asks to see Spock alone. And we get this interesting dialogue between them where Laurel basically wants him to kind of be her advisor, which is interesting because Laurel sees something in him that I think we as Star Trek fans know Spock has because we have this 50 plus year history with the character and Spock himself doesn't see this in him. He's, he's all out of sorts. He doesn't even think he should be there, but Laurel is wise enough to see this aspect to Spock that she could use and recognizes the wisdom and logic there. I thought that was really cool. I agree. I really liked that. And I thought, yeah, she is way more wily than people give her credit for. She is very smart very smart and very mm -hmm. intelligent. And, you know, I know in the great scheme of things that she doesn't succeed with what she sets out to do. However, she certainly leaves her mark. It makes me wonder if during these proceedings, she was noticing that Spock seemed uncomfortable. And so maybe she felt that he was trustworthy to be an observer because she's watching him observe from both sides and doesn't seem to really favor one side or the other because he doesn't feel like he's fitting in. He seems like an outsider. And at the same time, she's looking at him thinking, well, I have a certain trust for Michael Burnham and this is her brother. And she always, she relayed herself as being kind of an outsider too. So I think she, relates the two together and so there's that trust in spock and maybe also because you know well he's vulcan maybe she thinks well he doesn't have emotional play in this game so maybe he's going to be more objective 
Yeah, and because he's on leave, he doesn't technically represent Starfleet or the Federation. Mm-hmm. Right, right, because he's out of uniform, and that's why she. Why aren't you wearing uniform? He's like, because I'm not really here on official business. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just hanging out, just mm-hmm. chilling, just uh, <laughs> just observing, just uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> seeing the sights. Of this weird planet. Seeing the sights. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going hiking tomorrow. You want to yeah. go? <laughs> um, and and he is going hiking tomorrow. We'll get to that. Yeah. I, yeah. I see it's very snowy. Um, I'm not really familiar with snow. What do we do with snow on Earth? Um, skiing. Let's try hmm. skiing. I've never done that. <laughs> so we get a bit of a, a continuation of the... I. I you know, it's an aspect of the negotiations. They're kind of partying a little bit. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Pike downing this bowl of gah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was um, comedic. Yeah. That's a now, lot. Now, I've, I've read the Klingon Empire travel guide by Dayton Ward, and I know you have to chew the gah because it can continue to live in your stomach and not good things happen. Uh, I don't think he's chewing every single one of these in this entire bowl. He is uh, not. It won't really come back up in this story, but I feel like there's a B plot. Oh, there <laughs> of is Pike's issues here. Oh, number one says that it can be weeks before the effects manifest. Yep. Yeah, and he's having some <laughs> stomach issues because Spock's like, "Are you right?" And he's like, "Fine, just have sick bay on standby." Yeah, I think there's there. Yeah. Yeah, we won't go into the uh, indelicate details of what I think might be going on in that stomach, but I can it's I can good. imagine. No, it's definitely some gastrointestinal distress going on in there. <laughs> at the least, at the True. very at the least. least. There's one thing I do want to point out real quick in the scene at the very first page of the scene when we see an over view of the enterprise it's the enterprise from TOS and not the redesigned enterprise from Discovery. Mm-hmm. There's a there's another shot right at the end of the first issue where I think they used the TO. It's a little it's not as easy to point out and say that's definitely it, but yeah, I noticed that a couple times the what they're using as reference. I mean, it's uh, so not like so blatant like, "Oh my gosh, it's the wrong." I mean, you know, eagle eye people like us would notice. Yep. <laughs> Honestly, I was like, eh, whatever." Yeah. <laughs> right. No, same. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. It's the Enterprise. Yeah, it's, it's it, yeah. Because I mean, obviously, that ship is going to get refitted, and it got refitted after the whole big battle at Zahia because there was a whole big bite taken out of the saucer section. Saucer section. <laughs> Try saying that ten times fast. Saucer section. Sorry. I don't know why it was coming out. Saucer. Saucer. Yeah. And I have not been drinking so. <laughs> Well, speaking of distress, not of the gastrointestinal <laughs> variety, but distress nonetheless, uh, we get a huge explosion and an attack by um, somebody. Now, interestingly, Kor jumps on the, his chancellor to save her, but is very quickly taken out by a disruptor blast, which uh, I'm assuming just stuns him, does not kill him. So yeah. how lucky for him. Yeah. yeah, I thought, uh-huh, that's how it's going down, huh? That was exactly mm-hmm. what I thought in that situation. I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, I know what you are. <laughs> so, yeah, um, 
Pike tries to contact the Enterprise, but their signal is being jammed and explosions are happening all around them. And he and Spock manage to kind of get away from the party, uh, but they're chased into this corridor alongside this big window and Spock grabs Pike and says, do you trust me, Captain? And he says, of course, why? And they smash through the window and drop to the snowy ground below. We'll learn later. Uh, but at the end of this issue, Chancellor Laurel is captured by these forces who are calling themselves the Shadows of Kalis or Kalish, if you're, <laughs> if you're going by the, yeah, the proper, um, pronunciation according to the fin anyway uh <laughs> just like it should be Kronos, not chronos yeah, yeah it's exactly it's all, it's all good i have so i saw it uh spelled both ways throughout these issues with the k and the q for oh, i think it depends on who's pronouncing it yeah that if it's sense, a human yeah. it says chronos and if it's a klingon they're saying chronos so yeah they're these guys capture her and you know beat her about the face and say your reign is in a, at an end and are acting again all Klingon-y. Uh, meanwhile, Spock and Pike are wandering through this blizzard. Uh, Spock has Pike on his back saying, stay with me, and uh, basically rescuing his captain. And uh, that's how this issue ends. To be continued. So what did you guys think of this one? cliffhanger and then we had to wait like six freaking weeks for the third issue uh, yeah it did take a <laughs> while didn't it every oh. week i'd look i'm like shouldn't we've gotten it by now yeah it should have been out in october i actually i waited on reading the second issue until the third one came out no oh, you're smart <laughs> i did too <laughs> actually but um i will well because i was waiting for the third one then i was going to read them all at once i did read the first but i held off on the second but mm -hmm. it actually worked good for this show because we wanted to do this after the three Dis uh, Destiny books we were reviewing. We didn't want to do it in the middle. And this came out like the right when we were finishing Destiny. So it worked perfect. It's <laughs> like they knew. They knew. We control <laughs> IDW. <laughs> I knew it. They thought it was just a conspiracy theory. <laughs> So, yeah, um, what do you guys think, I guess, overall of this second issue? Uh, strong middle part of the story or kind of because it sounds like from what you guys were saying at the start or Brandy, especially the story kind of followed your expectations, I guess. It did. Uh, and I, that's not a I'm not dissing it in any way for that, but I am usually I have said more than once, and people can back me up on this, that I'm good at figuring things out because I've watched too many freaking mystery shows growing up. <laughs> so there there tends to be certain indicators of how things are going to go. I mean, you need more, you need the information from issue one, but I just thought, oh yeah, she's sneaky putting Core in charge of security. That's going to position him to do something to her while they're on this mission, but make it look like it wasn't him as a part of it. And so when he got shot, I'm like, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nicely played. And I thought, I also thought, if she falls for that, she's an idiot. <laughs> but I knew that she wasn't an idiot, so I'm like, there's going to be some reckoning at some point with that. But uh, I, I, it's, there were things that I didn't expect. I didn't expect um, Pike to eat 
an entire giant bowl of gawk. I didn't expect them to go cliff diving out a window into the snow. I didn't expect any of that. I expected the attack. Everything that happened after that point, I'm just like, okay. All right. I have no idea what's going to happen next. <laughs> yeah, that gawk so, stuff. I mean, that bowl, that's about as much spaghetti as my wife makes for a family of four. Yeah, that was like the size up. of a large wok. I mean, that was huge. I know. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I thought maybe he gained weight in the last episode. <laughs> well, not not anymore because those little worms are going to be eating everything that comes down That's his gullet true. from now on. Yes. No, but well, thought- maybe maybe they gave him enough energy to get through this trudge through the snow. <laughs> maybe he needed all of that. The that kind kept of- him alive in the frigid <laughs> condition. Spock's carrying him through the snow. They really you had to eat all that. You're really happy right now. <laughs> it just sits in there like a like a bit of lead in your belly. <sighs> no, yeah. I like this issue. I thought it was really good. I thought it was strong. Um, and I think the thing that really stood out to me is Laurel going to Spock to be her counsel. That that's yes. a surprise. Wasn't expecting that. Um, so yeah, and then you know when the they these guys come in and start attacking, they're not revealed till several pages later that there were Klingons. And I mean, I suspected that all along that they were Klingons. So that wasn't any big surprise. But I thought it was a good issue. Yeah, I agree. Well, that leads us into the third and final issue, and we get, uh, first of all, a scene with Lorel being threatened by these shadows of Kalis, and she they're not going to kill her right away. They're going to bring her back to Kronos to face sentence for her crimes, uh, and the sentence is death without honor. And Lorel gets a great line, then cease your prattle and get on with it, which is when they tell her that they're taking her back to Kronos to to be tried. Um, to which, you know, she says that they're fools. You know, you think that I'm unprepared. You think me blind to betrayal. So she's got a backup plan, it sounds like. Uh, but it involves the Klingon cleave ship parked outside, <laughs> uh, which apparently is being taken control of by the shadows of Kalis. So I don't know. Things look pretty dire for our chancellor here, or sorry, our mother here. <laughs> our mother chancellor. Yeah. I, I thought she's got a card up her sleeve for sure. She's got a contingency mm-hmm. plan for this exact situation because that's just who she is. She can yeah. think like her enemy and she can predict what they're going to do. And that's what makes her so smart. <laughs> and she's got that <laughs> insight where she's like, I've already been through stuff like this. You guys, this is kids play to me. Yeah. So. But at first then I thought maybe her plan isn't going to work and that's going to be. I never had any doubt. Yeah. I thought whatever she's got up her sleeve, I can't wait to see it because they're all going to be like, what? Yes. Which they she's were. smart. And I love that. That was like my favorite part. Yes, Mm because they underestimated her. Yeah. Never underestimate Laurel. Well, like Picard says in Generations, if there's one thing I've learned, it's never underestimate a Klingon. And apparently even the Klingons need to know that. So (laughs) Apparently so. (laughs) Yeah. So we get a look at one of Laurel's aces up her sleeve here, because it turns out that one of them we'll find out is Spock. And Spock is uh, still helping Pike across this windblown landscape here. Hoth. And- <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, what? Hoth. 
Hoth. It looks, yeah, it looks like Hoth. Yeah. <laughs> the Hoth. Or, or Canada. I'm from Canada, so it's just... Canada. Out, it's just out my window. The, the Laplands of Finland, you know, take your pick. Just yeah, exactly. a snowy wasteland. And the interesting part about this scene, I find, is Spock is, is again, inner monologuing. He says, for months I've been wondering where my place is, and it's only now that he realizes he is precisely where he needs to be, uh, helping his captain through this situation, which I thought was great. Like, he's recognizing that, like, a human would not survive this without him to help him through it. And they managed to kind of get back into the the facility, the the place where the negotiations are being held. And Pike says to Spock, you have to find Laurel now. Everything depends on it. That's an order. Or actually, he just says, that's order. As he's fainting. Yeah. yeah and then uh, one of those hooded Klingons comes in. So I was kind of surprised. I guess he followed them there through the snow. Or did he beam in? I think. I think he's in the building there when he, I think he's just a guard on duty because he says, how did you break free from the others? So he's like, you're under, you're under guard in the other room. What's going Why are you in this room? Yeah. So I don't think he followed them in the snow. I think he's just a fortunate <laughs> lone guard who happens upon them because yeah. again, the script needed that to happen. Right, well, I feel like the way that I looked at this is that this was actually the same big building complex. He was just getting back into it. Mm-hmm. So it was well, yeah, a different exactly. level of the yeah. same complex. That's what right. I no. took it to mean. So of course there would be a guard in there somewhere. That would yeah. happen upon them. Heard a noise. Came to find out what the noise was. Found, you know, Spock and Pike. Wackiness ensues. Spock rarely <laughs> exactly. jests. That's what we do know. Spock rarely jests. Absolutely. And that's one thing we've seen in season two of Discovery is Spock's proficiency at hand-to-hand combat. Uh, when he takes out all of the orderlies in that psychiatric facility. So he dispatches this Klingon guard pretty easily. Um, you know, almost a kind of Kirk-esque judo chop there. Yeah, he does It a was chop. a throat chop. That is the way you disable people without killing mm-hmm. them. You How punch you them know? in the throat or, listen, the throat punch or throat chop, they're struggling to breathe. So you've got them incapacitated, but as long as you didn't hit them too hard, you don't break their trachea, and so they don't die. But while they're struggling to breathe, you can either escape or do whatever you want to them. <laughs> so, well, and we'll learn more about that in the upcoming Kirk Fu book. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's true. Although, although if any 60s show, including the original Star Trek, has taught me anything, it's actually just a really quick chop to the back of the neck, just at the bottom, and they're out for, like, hours. So, you know, and you don't even have to hit them really hard. You just kind of have to go, and they're out. You it know? doesn't work. I tried it on my brother several times, and it didn't work. <laughs> I think Does? it has to do with, like, acupressure points and stuff like that. So, hmm. I think it's... it's uh, it's indicative of a more Eastern influence martial arts sort of thing, which Spock's fighting style is kind of, well, it's not kind of. Look, Ethan Peck knows karate, okay? He's a black belt, so they used that. So. Nice. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I didn't know that about him. I know way more than I should about him, so we'll just leave it at that. Oh, oh. Okay. <laughs> 
Well, of course, uh, this Klingon uh, happens to be about the same size as the aforementioned Ethan Peck, which is really helpful. So, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of bringing out 60s television show tropes, <laughs> um, we get, you know, this guard apparently returns to where Laurel is being held. Uh, and, uh, of course, he brutally shoots and takes out the Klingons, which seems very Spock-like. Hmm. Yeah, I, I did know. think about that for a moment. I was like, would Spock really go in a room and just shoot them all? And I kind of yeah. think he would. He yeah. would? Yeah. Because that was a logical thing to do. He couldn't fight them all. So he's going That's to incapacitate true. them because he needs to get to Laurel. So he yeah. did the logical thing. That doesn't no, but- mean they're dead. No. Well, uh, the the two that we see him shoot are definitely dead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one blaster shot's going right through the mouth and out the other end. And the other one's going out the back of another Klingon's head. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah. But, you dead. know, it was a kill or be killed. They would have killed him. But it was a moment that I did think, eh, is this a Spock? Would he really do that? Shoot them? And then I was like, yep. I think in this situation, yes. Absolutely would. Mm-hmm. All right. I was curious about your guys' thoughts on that. So Yeah, but it's interesting that you thought wondered about that too. Yeah, I just I've been watching a lot of original series lately and I know it's Spock at a different time in his life, but you know, for example, they're they're in a situation where they have to break out and Kirk says to Spock something along the lines of we might require some violence, Spock, and he kind of swallows and says I shall do my best to make my peace with that or something like that. So like he's very pacifistic later. Okay. So, so I was okay. just, you know, if just this wanted situation to- had come up at that time in his life, the time that you're talking about in TOS, what would he have done? I think he would have incapacitated, but not killed somehow. But what if he couldn't? Uh, well then he pro. I don't know. <laughs> I think okay. All if you he consider- would have shown extreme distaste at it. For sure. <laughs> yes, I don't. I don't think at any time he relishes killing ever. Mm-hmm. No, no, I no, don't I'm think either. He- but you yeah. know, if you take everything in the context that we've seen on screen with Spock, I'm thinking about Star Trek Five, where Kirk says to Spock, "You know, shoot him," and then Spock later doesn't shoot Cybok, and he's like, "Why didn't you shoot him?" He says, "I can't shoot my brother," but Kirk thinks that Spock has the capability to do that. I mean, he expected mm-hmm. Spock to, if he was like, why, why would Kirk even go shoot him? If he's like, well, Spock never shoots anything. So why would I even say that? Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? So that tells me that we do see there's aspects of Spock that he has had to shoot people for certain reasons. Yeah. I'm assuming, yeah, there's no stun setting on the Klingon disruptors. So, uh, although Core did get shot, but he got shot. If you look, it looks like there's blood flying. So he got shot in the arm or something to mm-hmm. incapacitate him. Um, Purple blood. Yes, of course. <laughs> and I I feel like if the, the reason maybe Spock wouldn't have done that in this situation is the Chancellor's life is in immediate danger. And if one of them's left alive, they could kill her right then and there. So he's got to act quickly and decisively. Yeah. So. Or, or they could have killed him. And he can't help if he's dead. So it was only logical that he incapacitated them or got them out of the way as quickly as possible. Speaking of dealing with situations as quickly as possible, Laurel, (laughs) badass Chancellor Laurel, this moment (laughs) I think that you guys have been uh, 
referring to here. Um, <laughs> so she contacts her flagship and it is indeed in control of the, it, it's being controlled by the shadows of Kalis. And, uh, so she enters a few commands and takes control of the ship. And you'd think, oh, maybe she's going to activate some defensive measures on the ship. Maybe she's going to incapacitate the people. If it was a Federation ship, I'm sure it would release some anesthesine gas or something like that. And nope, she's going to (laughs) plow the ship straight down into the planet, killing everyone aboard uh, with, you know, the audience of Pike and Spock looking on with, I'm sure, their jaws as near to the floor as possible. What did you guys think of this? <laughs> so Klingon. So Klingon. It was, I didn't expect her to do anything else. I'm like, oh, she's got control of that ship. That ship has her enemy on it. She's going to ram that into something. <laughs> yeah, and she communicates with the ship, and she says something in Klingon, and the ship says, access granted. And then she says something in it. says, commencing two houses protocol. I was just curious why it was called Two Houses Protocol. Any ideas on that? I don't know. I was curious about that myself. Yeah, um, I, mean, I don't know. I have a thought, but it's not fully formed, so I may stumble over some words. I kind of looked at it like the one house being all the people who were allied with Lorel, and the other house being those who wanted to betray her. Yeah. And it is kind of like no man can serve no, two masters sort of thing. So got to get rid of one of them. That's yeah, I kind of thought how that I looked too. at it. Yeah. yeah it's like mm-hmm. two houses divided. Yeah. Yeah. Great minds seek alike. See? Yeah. And that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, but I was like, that's a little bit too much of a human aphorism, but I like that like a house divided against itself. Yeah. Cannot, cannot stand. stand so. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We have to be one house, but mm-hmm. if we're two houses, then. We're ending it. Like, yep. It's pretty cool. So again, we get this like two page graphic here of this ship slamming into the ground and exploding, uh, which, you know, doesn't take out the whole facility, which is, is good. Um, <laughs> but I really love this between Pike and Spock where Spock says, Captain, I believe we can see it kind of referring to because uh, Laurel said, we'll know it when we see it kind of thing mm-hmm. we'll know what's going to happen when we see it and uh pike's answer is oh yeah i see it now <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love that like what else is there to say like oh <laughs> yep yeah yep. i see that <laughs> all right so they're back on the enterprise and Lorel gets to meet with the hero of the hour who tried to protect his chancellor, Kor. Now, first thing I want to say is we see just a little snippet of this sickbay and the way they've framed it. Man, does that ever look like the TOS sickbay? <laughs> like if you look closely at the details, you're like, oh, it's it's updated and that kind of thing. But, oh, they did a really good job of making it look like it's got the little beeping monitor above him and the little yeah. swing out computer beside the bed and stuff. I thought the same really cool. thing too, especially the medical officer there looks kind of like the same stance or pose you'd see of McCoy. And yeah. Like and I kind of wonder because he's a Lieutenant. Oh. So I wonder if this is like, you know, a, a younger Dr. McCoy doing just his like 
studies or residency or, or something. It like, could be. Hmm. Sure. I mean, it's it could possible. be. Yeah. And then you've got Core, his got the bandage around his head and that one close-up shot of him, I th- thought, I swear I saw him on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, where are you going with this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does he look like a pirate? <laughs> Just a bit. He must have hit his head when he got shot because he did not get shot in the head. So I'm no, guessing he must he have hit bumped his, his poor little head when he fell. Poor core. Maybe oh. his ridges fell off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the bandage is there to disguise the fact that his ridges have fallen off. That's right. Mm-hmm. So this conversation between Laurel and Core, I love it because when I'm reading it. I'm going back and forth. Like, does Laurel believe him? Oh, no, she doesn't. Oh, does she? No, she doesn't. Like, I love that conversation because there's so much, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Pretense. There's so much pretense in what Laurel is saying. And Coors, he's getting it, right? He's like, Chancellor, I assure you. No, I assure you, I now know the full extent of your loyalty rest well as she leaves and i'm just like oh that's so good yeah yeah i loved how she just said if i were of a more what did she say devious mind i can't remember the exact Mm -hmm. word that i would i would think that you let yourself get attacked in order to you know make it seem like you were on my side Mm -hmm. the better to avoid suspicion should the plot fail Mm mm-hmm yeah, I think it's very telling that line where she says, I now know the full extent of your loyalty rest well. And as she's saying it, her back is turned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he she's looking the other way. She's not looking at him when she says it. She turns and says yep. it the opposite direction with her back towards him. Which, of course, makes me think of like the Klingon discommendation, right? Where they cross yes. their arms in front of them and turn their back on yeah. on whoever it is being discommendated. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I agree. I I thought, yeah, she said a world of things with that one sentence. Mm-hmm. And uh, he <laughs> better watch his back. Well, I mean, obviously yeah. he survives but well, still and he's watching her back right now <laughs> yeah show you my back <laughs> you don't get to look at this face definitely well we get a scene uh between pike and laurel before we wrap up here as well uh and i i just want to point out one thing in this scene that i like i liked when pike's like who would have thought a klingon shuttle would ever sit in a starfleet hangar bay and not because it was captured and there's this kind of little bit of uh, a glimmer of hope uh, that this can still move forward between these two peoples. And I mean, we do know where it goes and it's not all good, but I like that this note of hope is still kind of left on. Uh, and then to jump ahead with Laurel and Spock, when she says, I have now become an admirer of the Vulcan people because of Spock's actions in this. I thought, what a cool little, Oh man. I love Spock. Yeah. His role in this is really cool. Well, Spock has been a favorite of mine since I was like three. So that's why I say give me all the Spock. The only thing I can say about this series is it just left me wanting more. I mean, that's not the only thing I can say about it, but that's what I can say most about the ending. It's like, there's so much more story that can be told here. 
Yeah. And I, I want to hear it. I want to read it. Or I want to see it on screen. Somebody please do something about that. <laughs> I want to see more between Core and Laurel. Like, to me, that's the thing that I'm like, ooh, I want to see how Laurel fares as Chancellor going forward and, and what happens there. I have a yeah. feeling we'll see that. Sometime. It feels like it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I sure hope so. I mean, if we're not going to get a show, then give me the comics. You know, absolutely. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I like I like the visuals. I love what they did with the visuals in these comics, and I think that they were so true to the characters we saw on screen. And that is, again, that is not easy to do. Well, we're not completely done with the issue yet because we have one final page uh, in which we kind of catch up to wh- the final scene of season two of Discovery where Spock, you know, finally decides he's going to shave the beard off, sad face, and put on his uniform and resume his duties as science officer on the Enterprise. And it really does lead right into that scene at the end of Discovery Season 2. So, um, yeah, we see Spock back to his familiar self that we see later. And uh, that is kind of the wrap up here. So this has kind of been a little bit of Spock's journey back to uh, being feeling whole again and feeling himself again after the loss of Burnham and the whole debacle with Discovery. Yeah, I I appreciate that they did this. Like I said, it left me wanting more because there's over four months between Discovery leaving and Spock putting that uniform back on. And mm-hmm. we saw maybe a, a small slice of that. There's more that could be told there. Give me the Spock. I want more. <laughs> Give me the Spock. Give me the Pike. Give me the number one. I would like to know more. Thank you. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> you know, this last page, like you said, it's basically the scene that we see at the end of Such Sweet Sorrow Part 2. But you know what? I think I would have really probably liked a little better because we've already seen the scene and it's not a complaint, but it's like, it would have been interesting to see Spock at a mirror shaved and shaving himself as he's having the thoughts of this is my calling. I'm here to be with my crewmates and to be with my family. And he's shedding what he was and now becoming the Spock that we know before that scene that we've seen in the, episode although it would be a little weird like you know showing him shaving but i kind (laughs) of think i'd like that the other thing that popped into my head and this is kind of a really nitpicky thing was that during this scene we get an inner monologue of spock reflecting on things but during that same scene in discovery in such sweet sorrow part two we got a different inner monologue from spock reflecting on things so, I mean, the Vulcan mind is very powerful and mysterious. So he's having these two separate inner monologues at the same time, which I know is really nitpicky, but I'm just like, hmm. Like, it's interesting. They kind of did the same thing with these two scenes with two different lines of thinking, I guess. But Yeah. To be fair, in the comic, it was an inner monologue. In the episode, it was a personal log. Oh, it was too. That's right. Yeah. So he's saying one out loud and <laughs> thinking one. Man, the Vulcans are just really good at he does a lot of compartmentalizing. Thinking. They yes. are. They put things in boxes. 
<laughs> so, you know, you remember now earlier in these issues, uh, number one made the comment that she was glad that Spock hadn't shaved the beard. So now I wish in the episode when he came on the bridge, you know, when she saw him without the beard, she smiled like, oh, it would have been funny if she would have pouted like, oh, he got rid of the beard. Well, did she smile or was it Pike who smiled? I thought she, she was more surprised than anything else, but I'd she have to go back and But I think it. I remember her like smiling too, like, oh, look, look at that. He's yeah. back or something like that. I know? think they both had a, at least a ghost of a smile mm. on their faces, fair. I think. But uh, that's fair. That surprise was definitely there too. Yeah. Maybe she was just in shock. <laughs> Could be. Well, and she was also in front of other people, so it's not like she's going to go, oh. <laughs> like, like you would have <laughs> exactly i would have been like no give it three days you can grow it back you can grow it back <laughs> well with that said i guess all that's left is to kind of talk about our final thoughts and ratings for this trilogy as a whole so um brandy i'm gonna as the guest of honor i'm gonna give you the uh the first crack at uh what are your final thoughts and ratings for Star Trek Discovery Aftermath? Well, I was anticipating this heavily, uh, especially when the first issue was late. And then the second issue came out on time. And then the third issue was late. But, uh, you know, I was just glad to get my hands on it and to go on this bit of a journey. Loved the story. Loved the artwork. Felt like it's purposely left us wanting more perhaps and uh i i actually enjoyed rereading it i reread it last night of course to just remind myself of certain aspects of it and enjoyed every part of it and took more time looking at every single panel both with the words and then focusing on the images tying them together which is generally what i do with comics anyway it's difficult to just read one through and then you know move on i usually go through something a couple of times but uh, i would definitely give it um five emo cores out of five (laughs) Because he's got those emo bangs going on, you guys. <laughs> well, I, I really did enjoy this. And I think it's very true to the series. It felt like the series. The art was fantastic. Uh, as we mentioned, it looks like the actors. And I love what they did with Core and his hair. And having him fit into the storyline under the House of Core. So, yeah, I, I'm glad that it worked in the three issues. I mean, sometimes they do a lot of these miniseries in four issues. But, you know, if this had story had been through four issues, you know, it may have dragged a little more and there may have been more filler. So I like that it was it, it moved. It had the right pacing to it. So I'm going to put my ratings, uh, since there's three issues, I'm going to say three out of three mommy issues. <laughs> excellent (laughs) Uh, yeah i have to agree with a lot of what the two of you have said um 
I, I wasn't sure what to expect out of this issue. I thought because it was called Aftermath, it might have more to do with kind of the fallout from Discovery's disappearance, which, you know, it makes sense they steered clear of that because it's meant to just disappear and not be spoken of again. So I was a little worried, like, oh, what's that going to create for continuity issues, blah, blah, blah. But I need not have worried because it was a different story than I was expecting and a very good story in its own right. I love Laurel. I love Mary Chifo's portrayal of that character. So to get more of that, even though it's just a comic and not uh her actual performance it was still really nice to get more with that character uh who you know i really wish we had seen more of in season two and now that discovery's left my only hope is that she shows up in the section 31 series or a possible pike series maybe but uh you know the fact that discovery is far beyond her and not probably not going to see her again uh, is a disappointment. So getting more of that was very welcome. Spock's story I thought was a nice touch, and it's nice to get a little bit more of an arc to how he uh, gets back to a place where he feels he can put on that uniform and become a part of Pike's crew in an official capacity again. So I really appreciated those aspects of the story. And yeah, I, I have to give it, I think, five out of five Klingon cleave ships plowing victoriously into the ground and sending half the people on board to Greythor and half the people honorably onto Stovokor for giving their lives to their further chancellor. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a ton of fun. I love, as I've said, having you on Brandy. So, uh, why don't you share where the good people that listen to literary treks can find you online and where they can enjoy more of your wonderful insights into this thing we call Star Trek? Oh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Brandywine12. Brandy's with an I, 12 is a number. Uh, I lurk in the Babel conference, but sometimes that can get overwhelming. So, uh, I may lurk please be advised i do know what's going on in there it's just i don't always necessarily comment on it and uh you can find me on live from the edge with somebody um what's his name uh, oh bryce <laughs> i'm kidding bruce you know i love you uh live from the edge with me and with bruce uh our next episode will be on friday december 13th for the two animated short treks and uh you can also find me on the podcast that i do with my husband dave called the dark corner podcast uh, if you've ever been curious about how much i swear that's a good entry point for <laughs> you <laughs> there there are times where i don't swear at all and there are times where i yeah i the, the more angry i get the more i swear let's just leave it there so, and you can find that at uh, darkcornerpodcast.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us again, and we'll have to do this again sometime soon. Oh, yes, please. I oh, so yeah. love being here, and thank <laughs> you so much for inviting me. I have so much fun doing podcasts with you, Dan. And then I like doing the live show with Brandy. When I have both of you, it's like double the pleasure. I just have so much fun <laughs> with the two of you. It really did feel like uh, being back on the live show with the two of you the few times that I've guested on on your Live from the Edge. Uh, I really like the energy the three of us have. Brandy brings so much to the conversation, and she always has such a great attitude. I really love podcasting with her. Yeah, and I really love the fact that we got to talk about Discovery, because I've always talked Discovery 
the episodes with her on the live show, but it was great to do something in the literary format with the three of us. Definitely. Well, it's been a lot of fun talking about literary format discovery today, but it's not the only thing we've been discussing on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Literary Treks. I knew from the beginning it was going to be a very large and complicated undertaking. I was asked by the editor and the licensor to come up with a storyline for Picard that would deal with the fallout of what I unleashed in my novel Section 31 Control, in which Section 31's crimes, and in fact its very existence, are publicly exposed to the Federation at large as well as its interstellar neighbors. Earl Grey. Troy looks down at her empty stomach. (laughs) (laughs) Let me do this part. I'm going to act it. Okay. Troy looks down at her empty stomach and frowns telepathically. (laughs) Oh, I wish. Listeners, you couldn't see it, but I did that. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) LaForge. Computer, locate a big thing of chips. (laughs) To the journey! What about the basics, planet? That planet's not bad. There's a lot of wide open spaces. You just have to avoid going in the caves. Yeah. I mean, anthropologically speaking. No spelunking on that planet. You can spelunk on the <laughs> board unicomplex, but you can't spelunk on that planet. No. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. That he said... <laughs> he was taking he... the new body out for a ride? Yeah, that was great. <laughs> I mean, it was a great line. It just doesn't really fit what really happened like he wasn't out there dating other people you know like, well he was trying to figure out who this new Culber was you know no i know but it, I, it was I like funny it was lighthearted. It, it, right it just didn't it just doesn't fit what he actually did and that's what else is happening on trek.fm check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the star trek universe and beyond you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. If you are not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, YouTube, Spotify, and most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. And if you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all of the details. Perks can include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, appointment to a Starfleet team negotiating with the Klingons, and more, available through our special patrons' website, Patron Zone. Note, we're not held liable if there's an attack by the Shadows of Kalis during your mission. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We also did get a couple of iTunes reviews 
Uh, and yeah, we'll cover those here. So first of all, Krabby Gnome uh, gave us a three-star review and he says, this is a solid podcast with two guys that clearly like Trek and are enjoyable to listen to. My only main issue is they are heavily focused on TOS and TNG books slash content. They hardly ever touch on other series like Voyager and DS9. Would be nice if they covered Trek books more broadly. Now, Bruce, I understand you've got some... Uh, information to bring to the table in response to this comment yes i don't know if crabby gnome is a man or a woman but anyway uh that's the problem with itunes i really don't know these people personally so yeah so uh when we plan the schedule for this year and i'm addressing this not just because of crabby gnome yeah this isn't just this is to everyone when we planned the schedule for this year, we were coming out of 2018 having just done the A Time 2 series, and we thought it would make sense to go through the post-Nemesis books following that series since they hadn't been done in previous episodes. When Literary Trek started, it was like halfway through the post-Nemesis era of books. So we started with doing those books, which of course are mostly TNG and Titan. So that really filled up the schedule. Then you have new books coming out which were primarily Discovery, original series, TNG. We didn't get any new Voyager books. We didn't get any new DS9 books. So we did cover uh, two Voyager books earlier in the year. Unfortunately, we didn't get to hit any DS9 books uh, this past year. So, yeah, consciously aware of it. We'd love to hit those books. I think we're going to hit more of those in 2020. But also just keep in mind that I looked at the list of TNG-only books and TOS-only books, DS9, Voyager. I, I didn't look at special series necessarily or crossovers or whatever. But just so you know, two-thirds of the published Star Trek books out there are based on the series are made up of TOS and TNG. So that's two-thirds. The remaining third is DS9, Voyager, Enterprise, Discovery. So, you know, it's they're just not going to be hit as often as those others. And going into the new year, we know we're getting some new Discovery. We're getting new Picard. We're getting new TOS. You know, it's like we're not getting new <laughs> DS9. We may hopefully get a new Voyager from Kirsten Beyer. Uh, that's the plan. No date but they're hoping next year so we're not even getting a lot but yes and, and you know and to the fact that i was missing reading some ds9 lately that i actually read a ds9 this week that we're not covering on the show an old one it was station rage i think it was number eight in mm. the number series which i had never read um and that's really what i just want to say so yeah we're going to try to get some more voyager and ds9 books but they're going to be older books because there's no right. new ones really coming out. And, yeah, which is unfortunate. Yeah, and we do have a new Voyager comic coming up in December, so we will be reviewing that. That's true, yes, absolutely. Well, we also got a review from Tiger's JC86, a five-star review titled Finally. And uh, this reviewer says, I've been reading Trek books most of my life, and I love that there's finally a dedicated podcast that looks at both the new and older books from Trek's history. They have a great format, and sometimes we are lucky enough to hear from the authors themselves as they dive into their influences and reasons some of their stories go in the directions that they do. Check them out. Oh, thank you so much, Tigers. I really appreciate that comment and the uh, five-star review. And uh, I'm glad you're enjoying the show. And yes, Please listen to his advice. Check us out. <laughs> yeah, I like how Tiger says new and older books. That goes back to what I was saying before. If we're going to hit some 
of these series, we're going to have to hit some older books. And I'm really looking forward to that. I like doing mm-hmm. the new ones, but I like revisiting or visiting old books that I haven't read before. Definitely. And I mean, the, the goal of the podcast has always been to cover every Star Trek novel. We're probably not going to achieve that goal because they keep coming out. But, you know, we make a little bit of progress every year. So, you know, we do want to cover everything. And and you, there's nothing that we want to leave out. Wow. Um, we're going to be here a long, long time. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in on the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Literary Treks, and that will come right to us. And by the way, if you want to send me an email, you can send to bruce.gibson at trek.fm. So I've never mentioned that before. just thought about it. Hmm. Uh, You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. You can also find us on our Goodreads group, where we have bookshelves with all of our previously covered books, as well as a currently reading section, so you know what's coming up for future shows. Plus, there are also great conversations happening about all the books and comics that make up the Star Trek literary universe. Just search for Literary Treks on Goodreads and click Join Group. We'd like to thank Norman C. Lau, Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, Brandon Shemutala, Justin Ozer, Jeffrey Harlan, and Casey Pettit for their support of the Trek FM network and for being associate producers for Literary Treks as well. Thank you all so very much. Now, Bruce, when you're not smashing through a window to escape the clutches of the shadows of Kalis, where can we find you? You can find me falling to the ground from Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. You can find me on the Star Wars report talking about Star Wars. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about this month. And by the way, Dan was just on a recent episode. Hmm, check that out. And and so was Brandy. Yeah, there you yeah. go. <laughs> uh, and then also, uh, yeah, what else do I do? Live from the Edge with Brandy here on the show when a new episode of Discovery comes out. And we're doing a episode of the Short Treks, a live show of the next Short Treks with the two animated uh episodes whatever i'm talking about that and uh that's it you can find me in the babel conference so dan when you're not growing out your bangs to cover your ridges where can people find you <laughs> you can find me on my youtube channel at youtube.com slash productions and kurtrats is spelled k-e-r-t-r-a-t-s you can also find me on twitter at kurtrats on facebook.com slash Productions, and of course I'm lurking in the Babel Conference not often commenting but I keep track of what's going on in there for sure well thank you all so much for listening and until next time live long and read on what do you call that light reading to each his own number one